0: Investors Chronicle. Hello and welcome to another episode of the IC Interviews podcast. I'm Dan Jones, Deputy Editor of Investors Chronicle, and today I'm joined by our own Simon Thompson. Simon, as most of you will know, is an Associate Editor at the IC, having first joined the publication back in 1998. He has been through the ranks of the company, he's been company's editor, and of course, since 2013, he has been covering smaller companies for the publication, not least via the widely followed annual bargain shares portfolios. Uh, Today, we are going to be reflecting a little on 2022, what a year it's been. Once again, a, a pretty dramatic year, pretty tough year for small cap investors in the UK and beyond. Uh, we're also going to look ahead to uh, the next year and start having a, a think about the kind of things investors want to be keeping their eyes on as the uh, new year arrives, the kind of things investors should be considering in a in a world of higher inflation and higher interest rates. Uh, but Simon, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here.
1: It's great to be here. And uh, be, before I sign off for the year, try and give an insight into uh,
0: what, what I'm thinking Absolutely, absolutely. That's what we are. That's what we're here to find out. So, so yeah. Let's start with a, a broad picture. I, I won't belabor the point about 2022. I think we'll all be quite happy to leave it behind from an investment point of view. Although that said, we'll as we'll come on to shortly. Some uh, companies have still done pretty well, as you yourself have been able to identify. But. Sentiment overall is pretty poor still. A lot of people are still hunkering down, notwithstanding the, the better days, the better weeks we've had over the past month or so. In your point of view, are we at or approaching a point, though, where investors should be thinking this is actually a great opportunity, uh, you know, in a number of different sectors? Can they can they start thinking that way? Or is it, as ever, a, a case-by-case basis on which we need to be thinking still, even at this moment of of quite poor sentiment. Well, actually, the the, the
1: first thing to point out is that this is for 2022. Um, If you go back for the S&P 500 over, well, actually, history since the index was um, conceived, um, there's only been six years when it's actually lost 15% of its value in the first six months of the year. Well, the seventh year was 2022. It lost 21%. Guess what? Not in a single one of those six previous years has it actually lost money in the second half of the year. Well, the key point for the S&P 500 was it closed at 3785 on the 30th of June 2022. It's now up 6.5%. I focus on Wall Street because Wall Street leads all global markets. And what UK investors may wish to um, take note of is the third year of the US presidential cycle. Next year is the third year it's impossible to lose money in the third year of the US presidential cycle. Research that I've got from Yardini Research, which is pretty similar to research I did in my first book Trading Secrets about 14, 15 years ago, looks back over the return on the S&P 500 over the last 100 years. And if you go back to, well, the last 20 cycles to the war period, 1943, the average return is 16% in the third year. The lowest return is minus 0.7%, and that was in 2015. You just don't lose money. Um, so what, what I'm saying is that history is on our side for 2023 to be a far better year mm. than we've actually seen in 2022. The question is, why would it be? You know, w- Without just you know backing this, this historic trend, you've got to have reason to think what is going to change next year that would make the bottom that we've seen in October of this year, 2022, the bottom of the bear market? And that all boils down to inflation expectations and interest rates and the depth of the recession. And my view is that the Bank of England will not increase interest rates to the market expectations, base rate 5%. The effect on the economy will just be too. Devastating for them to actually do that. And also, we're probably already in recession now. So, and we've had a monetary tightening in the mortgage market beyond anything that we could ever have expected after the mini budget on the 23rd of September, when two year, five year mortgage rates went above 6%. And that was a massive shock to the housing market. So, you've got a hit sentiment, consumer and people in the housing market in the UK. You've got Bank of England that have got the data that's coming through now, and they'll be looking forward thinking, do we actually have to tighten to 5%? The the futures curve says 5%, Economist consensus is 4%. If the damage has been done to sentiment enough and people actually start reining in spending, remember over 60% of GDP in the UK is based on the consumer, then those inflation expectations for next year could come down pretty pretty sharply. So if we strip out energy um, and the housing markets from the inflation numbers and just look at core inflation, if people actually start reining in, um, you know, we could be thinking in twelve months' time about cutting interest rates r- rather than actually, you know, pushing them up to five percent and the bond market already is pricing that in or is it starting to we've seen a noticeable move in uk gilt markets since um jeremy hunt actually gave his um well it was actually before he gave his um, budget autumn statement um g- given what was actually being said by the government about what they were going to do in terms of the change in strategy that actually placated the financial markets and at the moment Going into December, we're looking at three year, five year, and 10 year bond yields, GILTS government bond yields at 3%. Now, that is yeah.
0: massive.
1: That is massively below where they were prior to the mini budget in 23rd of September. You know, they were trading about 3.5% across the two year to five year to 10 year range. So, you wouldn't be having that if the market was expecting inflation to be sticky next year. Um, the bond markets would be pricing in base rates sticking around 4 or 5% for most of next year, but it's not. It's basically saying now, um, going into December, that two-year gilts are below 3%. And that's quite a strong message. And the, the reason that we had such a severity in the downturn that we saw into stock market downturn, that is, into mid-October was the anticipation of very high interest rates in the UK and the damaging effect that would have on the economy, plus the inability of the government to actually fund the massive expenditure programs that it was um, proposing under the trust administration. So so what I'm trying to say now now is that we've had a sea change in investor sentiment in the last four or five weeks where people are actually buying the markets, but the economics looking forward have moved as well the dial has moved. And it's not just in the UK, you can actually look at the US as well, the rhetoric coming out of the Federal Reserve, and the next meeting will be coinciding um, 13th, 14th of December with the next Bank of England meeting uh, for the Federal Reserve. The rhetoric coming out of the Federal Reserve is yes, they have to push up rates and it may go to 5% their their Federal Reserve rate. Um, But the scale of the increases will be diminishing. That the mm-hmm. the, med, the medicine has been given out. People have felt the pain. In the U.S., mortgage rates were seven percent. Thirty-year mortgage rates seven percent at one stage in late September. So, so what w- what I'm trying to say is that the the negativity that was in factored into the markets with those valuations that we saw in September October during the market route, um is far is dissipated. And people's view now, looking ahead, you know the stock market looks forwards. The data, economic data, looks back. Um, is for perhaps lower peak inflation um, than we were anticipating, you know, two, four months ago. And inflation coming down far quicker um, is the other thing. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine. I don't know what's going to happen in the Russian gas crisis. But what I do know is that there's a chance that the whole of Europe will actually get through this winter unscathed, which we weren't thinking about, you know, three months ago. Um, Twelve months time, who knows? But but the risk that we're facing, the European economy, are perhaps less now than they were before.
0: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I mean, as I, I said at the beginning, your know, sentiment is quite poor, but notwithstanding the last few weeks but there is certainly the case as you say that those weeks could be the start of something something better and i mean we're, we're here to hear your opinion rather than mine but i do for what it's worth agree that the bank of england won't raise rates as high as people are expecting and they've kind of made noises to that to that end as well so so reasons to be cheerful perhaps in that context i suppose that invites the next question of you know what investors should be looking at in terms of how they look at specific companies in this environment notwithstanding the fact that uh we may see inflation start to decline next year and rates may not go as high as uh, uh markets still predict do investors need to be more careful nowadays you know in terms of the the way they look at companies the metrics they look at whether that be debt loads borrowing costs refinancing positions are those things you find yourself looking at very carefully I, I, nowadays I, i've always looked at them I, i've
1: looking at them far more carefully for the yeah. obvious reason that um, there can be red flags in the current environment that you could possibly ignore or get away with, with interest rates at 0%, uh, whereas now with base rate, Bank of England base rate 2%, definitely going up to 4%. Um, that's what I think. Um, then if you're a company and you're actually borrowing at 2 2.5%, above Bank of England base rates, then your borrowing costs have basically trebled in the last 12 months. And it's significant all of a sudden um, to you know the net profit of a company. Um, the, the things that I look specifically for, um, I'm, I'm looking for companies with stable operating cash flows with high ca- free cash flow conversions. Um, I'm keeping a close eye on debtor days. Um, Receivable balances, I I looked in the notes of the account to actually double-check how many companies um, are not actually collecting within 90 days their invoices. Um, I'm looking at the liquid ratio on the balance sheets, that's current assets over current liabilities, the ability of a company to actually fund their working capital and short-term financial liabilities. I'm looking at credit counterparty risk. That's the concentration of customers. Um, I'm specifically looking at companies that have got more than 5% of sales to one company. You know, there's going to be a recession next year. I don't think it's going to be as bad as the OBR. The OBR has got Office of uh, Public Responsibility, sorry, Office of Budget Responsibility. Um, It's got a terrible record um, and actually forecasting, but their forecast for, you know, a deep recession next year you know almost 2% negative growth um i've got reasons to doubt that but what i do know is that companies will go bust and companies will get into difficulty and i don't want the companies i recommend to be exposed to a large company or clients that are not going to pay their bills um i'm obviously looking at debt maturity profiles um you know, as I said, the days of 0% interest, rate, interest rates have gone. The, the days of property companies, for example, borrowing at two and a half, three percent 3% are gone. Um, you've got the rollover risk um, on credit lines, whereby the bankers will say, yeah, we, we'll we'll lend you another credit line, but you'll have to tap shareholders first to actually reduce your your debt because of the interest covenants, because of the higher interest costs. Um, So I'm questioning finance directors when I interview companies on on the maturities and the discussions are actually happening with the lenders in terms of the pricing of credits in future. Um, As I've always done, I've looked at ratios like net debt to EBITDA, interest cover covenants, um, EBIT, which is operating profit and over interest payments. Um, Yeah, I'd say I'm keeping a closer eye now than ever before. Um, I've done, since the market peaked out for small caps um, the summer of 2021, I've done 15 alpha reports for our alpha subscribers for that section of the website. For each one of those reports, I've looked at five or six companies to actually get that one that I think at that time has actually hit the mark and ticks my boxes and mm. passes my my sniff test, basically. So it's, it's definitely harder than it has been, but I'd say it's as rewarding. I, I Before I came on this podcast, I, I just double-checked what the performance of those 15 companies um, has been. And if you just bought them and sat on them over, well, since the start of August last year, you'd have made an average gain of 18%, and in the same time, the FTSE AIM Ulster index has lost 16% of its value on average. So what I'm saying is, even in a bear market, remember the FTSE AIM all-share index fell 41% between early September last year and October this year. Even in a bear market, you can actually still generate positive returns. It's just that the legwork you've got to do is far, far, far greater. You can't write off the markets.
0: Do you think, looking at the AIM all-share, to take that example, as a whole, you know those companies you know yes you've got to watch out for indebtedness and financing and things like that but it, compare with previous downturns is there a sense of, of greater prudence obviously there's always going to be some companies who have you know got in over their head and and borrowed too much in in the current context but is it possible to make that kind of judgment of a, of a general improvement in in prudence over the years you know in some ways the shadow of 2008 still looms large even now perhaps
1: I think you've got a better quality of company on the London junior market now than you did 20 years, 15 years ago. The more speculative stocks, you've got far fewer of those. Um, you've got better quality management, you've gone up the scale for size as well. And as a result of that, you've gone up the quality scale. Um, and Yeah, I mean, in terms of the corporate governance, it's improved. I mean, this still leaves a lot to be desired in certain areas, but it has improved, which means companies can't get away with some of the things they were doing 20 years ago on the AIM market. Um, But in terms of the financing, um, I still expect a number of companies to be tapping shareholders and placings next year Mm. when their debts come up for maturity and the bankers say, Yeah, in order to get this through, we need some equity from shareholders.
0: What about um, parts of the market? Are there parts right now, you know, this is a harder time, as you say, for investors than than it has been for a while. Are there parts of the market sectors you you find are simply too difficult to analyze given all the competing potential headwinds, you know, in the mix?
1: I, I wouldn't say too difficult, but I've got to take a long time to ascertain a reasonable judgment on the worth of those companies, and it, it doesn't matter about the quality because it is the sectors they're in. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a, a few weeks ago, I did, it was a 2021 bargain share Wednesday group. It's an agricultural supplier, um, fertilizer, things like that, and it's, it's done incredibly well. It's had five earnings upgrades in 2022, and you know, the shareholders a few weeks ago were sitting on a near on 50% return. But equally, if you look at 2022 numbers, it's trading on eight times earnings because it's had so many upgrades. But the question is, sorry, do you want to do something about your slide?
0: Yeah, the uh, for the listeners, can't see the automatic lights in this room are just shut off. So I'm sitting in darkness listening to Simon. But uh, Carry on, carry on, Simon. <laughs> um,
1: sorry, what I was saying. Um, oh, sorry, Winstead Group. So... so it's had five earnings upgrades um, in 2022. And when you look at the face of it, it's trading on eight times earnings, fantastic. Um, but there's no way it's going to be able to replicate that performance next year, because the one-off drivers is had, you know, the spike in ammonia prices, that's fed through to fertilizer and various other uh, positive things. Um, so, you, you, you look next year and it says 14 times earnings. That's, so we're going to have a fairly substantial drop in earnings, Um, but the question is for investors, whether or not there's enough left for for multiple expansion, the price they're willing to pay from 14 times earnings to 15 times earnings for 23, in the knowledge that earnings are going to drop because of these one-off factors won't be repeated. And my advice, and I thought a lot about this, my advice there was, well, you know, sell Sell two-thirds of your holding, you'll get all the capital back that you invested um, started 2021. Ride the rest for free and target, I think it was the all-time highs from a few years back. So another 10, 12% upside. If it happens, great, you know, you've got skin in the game. If I'm wrong and investors react against the downturn in earnings, then at least you've actually taken two-thirds of your profit off the table. And there's quite a few of those that where things have gone really well. That I've pondered it because it's you're, you're tempted to be greedy sometimes, thinking, oh, you know, this can continue. But there's always a time to take a profit. Um, the the other one that's difficult um, is property companies because we're guaranteed due to the move in government bond prices. Um, a downward shift in valuations, and that downward shift has yet to be reflected in the accounting valuations of all the listed property companies. I did a result today in Palace Capital, um, which is an off report from the start of 2021, and it's still in profit, it's still generating a 10% total return, which is good in light of a market that's down 28%. Um, but the share prices come back a long, long way because people are scared about what's going to happen to property prices. So th- th- this is an equation that I do, which readers may wish to do as well. I-, I look at the total valuation of the properties the company is holding. I look at the debt that they're actually, um, the-, the company, has borrows. You can then roughly work out the net assets, making a few other adjustments. And then you factor in a 5%, 10%, 15%, 20% fall in um, property prices, or even 25%, and then work out when the shares, the the share price discount to NAV will be wiped out. And with Palace Capital, I did that equation um, a few hours ago, and the answer is, 27% fall in commercial property prices. Well, the valuers wrote down the portfolio by 6.5% in the latest accounts for the period six months to end of September. You're going to take a fairly grim view of where the commercial property market is going if you think property prices are going to fall another 25 30%, having already been downgraded 6.5%. And I, I just feel that example, for that company that the risk reward is actually skewed to the upside because it's pricing in an Armageddon scenario that just is not going to happen. Um, And Also, going back to what I said at the start of the podcast on interest rates, commercial property has to be trading or the yield that you want from commercial property has to be a premium to risk-free government bond yields. Otherwise, why, why hold commercial property? Um, you, you've got to be compensated for the risk you're actually taking on. And a 27% move or a 30% downward move in valuations for some of these commercial property companies would imply a net initial yield for the current portfolios of seven, eight, nine percent. Well, if 10 year, three, five year guilt yields are mm-hmm. three percent, I say six percent above that is one heck of a margin, and I don't yeah. think you're going to get it. Um, so, uh, my, my point in terms of the commercial property market is that we've already seen the downward shift in valuations ahead of, sorry, the downward shift in share prices ahead of the downward shift in revaluations from commercial surveyors. And if you're in there for the income and a bit of capital upside, I think it's actually skewed to the upside for the investment. Yeah. But you've got to do a lot of work to actually get to that to that point. So it's not just a case of buy or sell. It's it's why,
0: what scenario would actually work? I think that's the, that's the essence, isn't it? In some ways, of private investment you know doing that analysis on a sector which feels you know instinctively that's a time where people are shying away where share prices have fallen so far you know because everyone knows the news flow around the property market and what's to come for commercial and residential um property is not going to be good but as you say if you can actually analyze and put some figures on it and work out the uh, the difference perhaps in uh between effectively between sentiment and, and reality then then that's when you can really find an edge.
1: I I think they're definitely disconnected at the moment um, after the sell-off through September, October Mm. across uh, the listed REITs. Um, I also see value in specialist funds as well. Um, I've been following one called Augmentum, um, which is the UK's uh, London Stock Exchange first listed FinTech fund. And it's been sold, I, I put the readers into the stock uh, just over a pound three and a half years ago in, in the bargain shares and it rallied to one pound 70. I should have said take profits, I didn't. But the net asset value at the time was 155, 156. So it was a small premium and the track record is fantastic for that fund manager, Tim Levine. Um, I've done the results and the stock price has come back to 88 pence. The net assets are 155. It's sitting on 30 pence a share of cash. So effectively, if you strip out cash, you're getting the whole of their fintech fund for less than half its book value. And it's not as if these are very speculative investments it's made. I mean, this is the company that backed Interactive Investor at an early stage before Aberdeen or it Mm. it was called Aberdeen Asset Management. It's now got a very funny name. They've taken out all the vowels. Um, um, Acquired it, and and Augmentum made a money multiple return of about 11 times on its capital, so it turned less than £4 million into £43 million, hence why it's got a £57 million cash balance on its balance sheet. Um, to recycle into new investments. But th- this company's got a fantastic track record. And I just think if I can buy assets effectively at half the book value, and some of those assets are very profitable businesses, valued in sensible, earnings multiples, then the risk reward is actually in my favor. Yeah. but But, but again, it, it takes time to actually go through research to actually get to that point and you've got to look at all the underlying investments and actually try and ascertain whether or not the fund manager's valuation which comes from its investment committee is actually a sensible valuation um but it can well it is worth doing i think
0: yeah those kind of some of the parts valuations obviously is a big part of your your process do you think right now that's a particular advantage in doing those at a time when as you say there are lots of Uh, companies where you know the share price will have fallen significantly but uh, in many cases there may be value traps is that is this kind of analysis that can really help you sift through those things
1: it it helps me also spot um incredibly undervalued special situations Mm. um for example at the start of the year for alpha i wrote up a semiconductor manufacturer and maker based over in Malden in Essex called CML Microsystems, completely blowed the radar, 65 million market cap, 20 million cash on the balance sheet. They sold a business for a bump of profits, returned cash to shareholders. Um, They've got land, which they've got planning um, applications going through, which will be heard early next year by the local council. They've got um, buyers lined up. To actually take uh, premises that's going to be developed on that land and when i did my research into the company i actually worked back from where the shares were trading at and the enterprise value of the company and what the business was actually valued at and i thought i'm buying a tech business for less than 10 times earnings effectively and it's exposed to structural growth drivers through the industrial internet of things Uh, 5G data centers, Um, and I I thought it's a cracking buy. And since then, they've had two upgrades. The last one was um, late November, 35% profit upgrade for the year to March 23. So now, now we've got some of the parts valuation supports the share price completely, and the underlying business is operationally geared feeding into very strong markets the growth there um, so yeah these some of the parts valuations do work because it just takes time for people to actually realise the value and offer sometimes it's helped by me highlighting it through Investors Chronicle or other uh, market participants but but ultimately valuable out in the end it always
0: does Let's turn from value to growth and growth prospects and both these terms are quite quite nebulous in the way they're used by market participants but obviously a time of higher interest rates means the present value of future cash flows is discounted and growth stocks have suffered this year or many have for that reason is there a way investors should be thinking about growth in a time of higher interest rates should they be thinking differently should they be a lot more skeptical say of you know a high pe that kind of thing or how do you view you know these companies trading on you know, it's a very simple uh, uh, metric, but, you know, very high PEs and, you know, the expectation of a large amount of future growth to come through, even in what is clearly a very difficult macro environment. How do you think about growth in that way?
1: I, I personally steer clear of any company trading well above 20 times earnings. Mm. Um, history is litters across the stock market with companies trading in 50 times earnings that just fail to deliver the growth expectations And because the expectations were so high in the first place, any profit miss, earnings miss, negative trading statement sees the share price just getting absolutely hammered. I I, I could give you hundreds of examples of it happening. Um, So I, I prefer to target niche growth plays in sectors offering structural growth drivers, which I've been doing all this year through the ALF reports. Um, for example, I put the readers into Ashto Technology, that they're, they're exposed to mechanical engineering for subsea work on wind farms and the oil and gas sector. And they're a leading player in it. So they've got a moat around the business because they've got a dominant market position. Um, I looked at Crest checked last autumn, um, it's the old Northbridge Industrial Services. They provide load banks, so Transformers effectively that back up data centers. Oh, I mean, the data center market's gone ballistic and it will continue to do so because you know we're, we're data hungry. Um, and their capacity is running at mass, almost maximum capacity. Sorry, their factories operating almost at maximum capacity. They're in an earnings upgrade cycle and they've got the structural growth driver. But despite that, and despite I think it's four earnings upgrades this year, I'm losing count, there's been so many for that company. The stock is only trading in 12 times earnings. Um, another feature of that company, Nashtet, is free cash flow. I, I'm looking for high free cash flow yields, six of mm-hmm. an 8% if I can, which then underpins. Um, a progressive dividend policy so I can capture a two, three, four percent dividend if I'm lucky, um, but also it enables the company then to recycle the cash flow back into the business. So you create this virtuous circle. But it's important for these companies then to have a re- high return on capital or, or return on investment. So I'm looking for a return on capital of 15 percent or more. Uh, Crestrick is nearer 20%, is, is the figure that they generate. Um, I'm looking all of these things basically protects profits. Yes. Um, And that, that's the key thing. We do not want earnings expectations to be missed. So if I'm paying 12, 13 times earnings, but I'm skewing the risk in my favor that this company's going to deliver on those earnings, um, the higher the multiple I can actually pay, it's when you're paying 50 times earnings for not the best quality company that's exposed to a huge number of risks that you're actually opening yourself up to well a very nasty experience
0: yeah as we've seen this year on a number of occasions looking at the aim market in general you know clearly as we've talked throughout this podcast you know the focus is on stock specifics as it should be but do you feel there are you know the AIM market is a lot more widely followed than it used to be but are there sectors as well as individual companies that are still perhaps underrecognized, you know, at this time or in general, you know, across the market, across AIM.
1: So yeah, I I I think because some people have been burnt in the past from the oil exploration companies and they're more speculative that they've they've steered clear away from them and it's created pockets of value. And I've been following those quite closely this year. And even more so now, given what's happened in Ukraine and Russia, with energy security being a huge issue for for Europe and the West, um, ultimately the politicians, definitely in Europe, will have no choice but to seek alternative alternative energy sources. And that that's what I've been targeting. So I I put the readers into and maintain the exposure to to players like Chariots, um, which has Moroccan gas, um, and that can be exported through the Maghreb pipeline back into Europe um, if that project gets off the ground. You've got a North Sea oil and gas play called Jersey Oil and Gas, which is effectively being run by the former team at Ithaca Energy, um, who proved incredibly successful there. I focused on Nigeria as well, San Leon Energy, um, which is doing a huge deal um, over there. And I know that the oil prices come down because in, in you know throughout November, um, because of concerns about China, COVID, um, and potentially OPEC actually ramping up supply rather than actually cutting supply. Um, but ultimately the long term outlook for oil and gas is still incredibly positive um and if you can actually buy into companies that have got an operating break even of 30 35 dollars a barrel for oil and Brent is trading at 90 dollars there's a huge margin there um the, the other the other areas that I think are less understood than they should be, but they they will become understood, um, is battery metals. Um, I put readers into a company called Trident Royalties, which has got a royalty over the Thacker Pass um, um, project in the Nevada desert in the States. What I don't think readers have actually, well, not necessarily readers, but investors have realized is that energy security in the States is such that Basically, all the production there is going to go to the U.S. The, the United States are very protective of their industry, um, so you've got basically got a guaranteed market for these battery metals um, when, when that that scheme is up and running next year. Um, copper as well. I mean, sure, the copper prices come down. That that's indicative of global recession. That, that's why it's called Dr. Copper, but if we are going to get renewable energy product, projects off the grounds and take up the slack from fossil fuels in a meaningful way, we need vast amounts of copper produced to do so, which is why I've maintained exposure to the likes of Metal Tiger, which has got um, licenses over uh, the Botswana Copper Belt, and also has a stake in Sunfire Resources, an Australian-listed company that's got operations over there. So, so what, what I'm saying is that the, these companies are very undervalued at the moment because people are too risk-averse. They're not actually aligning the long-term fundamentals of the end markets these companies are targeting,
0: and will actually f- fulfil with the current price. Obviously, uh, oil and gas, you know, miners. As you say, they are they are volatile, which creates opportunities, but also uh, these are areas where you know investors, if they're not careful, can uh, experience some serious blowups. You know, it can be hard to, I think, from a um, private investor point of view, sometimes to to work out you know which of these mines and 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 rigs and what have you are actually going to prove fruitful. So, how do you kind of guard against those risks as best you can? How do you sort of approach those? That unknowability, if you will. I mean, the first thing to say is if if you can't
1: live with the volatility in a share price, I mean, just look at the historic share price graph. Mm. And if it's too volatile, just walk away. You've got to be able to go to bed at night and sleep. And take it for given that in the oil and gas exploration sector, you will see down moves to 25% yeah it, it, you you're not buying. and actually, even in large caps, shell and BP, just look at long- term graphs there is painful. Um, but equally, the long-term rewards can be huge um, if everything pays off. Um, but in order to answer the question, in I take a good look at the deposits they're actually um, targeting and whether or not commercially, they stack up and whether or not from a government's point of view, it's actually going to happen. Because you, you'll see across many parts of the world, companies with a great idea, but ultimately, then these projects never really get off the ground and all they do, these companies, is burn cash and then they've just got a big hole in the ground that you know, never makes money. Um, management is important; is incredibly important, and you know that that that's why I said Jersey Oil and Gas. It's the former Ethica team, and their track record is fantastic. Um, yeah, the, the, those are the major major things. But but ultimately, you're getting excess returns because you're taking greater risk, and as long as you understand that happy with it then i can see from the companies i've mentioned some quite substantial long term gains potentially to be made
0: we're we're coming to the end of our time unfortunately but before uh, we wrap up i do want to touch on uh, bargain shares 2023 bargain shares obviously that's you know still a couple of months away this is the end of november we're recording but uh, have you started thinking about about that and and can you perhaps give us some, not not a specific preview, but, but maybe a taste of what are the kind of things uh, that you're looking at or, or you're starting to consider?
1: Um, I'm considering thematic approach um, and couplets with Ben Graham's criteria of Banshee strength, etc. Mm. Um, if I mean, the problem with the thematic approach is if it, the theme is so strong, then it's not going to fit into the bargain chairs because the shares are going to be trading on a multiple of net asset value already. Sure. but I have identified some um, companies, and I, I don't want to give much away, to be honest, that would definitely fit the criteria and are below the radar. Um, you've got to do a lot of searching, but you know, I'm paid to do that yeah i i am definitely looking for ten small caps below the radar small caps that fit, fit the criteria and hopefully will will do you know make decent returns i mean the 2022 portfolio hasn't been a vintage one it's up 10% in total uh, the aim markets down 20 um and the ftse all share index last time i looked was down roughly 7% or on the same period so it's outperformed it hasn't produced a fantastic return, but in the circumstances of what we've had this year, I'm, I'm not,
0: I'm not overly disappointed, to be honest. No, I think that's definitely very, very fair. A lot of people would buy your hand off for 10% this year. I think um, we have, unfortunately, though, come to the end of our time. So thank you very much, Simon, for taking the time to discuss uh, your thinking with uh, with me and with listeners. Join us again next time for another ic interview. Thank you and goodbye.